This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in to the Otson Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Bream. Eric Scopel is with me as always. And we've got some news from the head man himself, Mario Cristobal, head football coach at the University of Oregon, discussing a wide range of topics. Uh, Eric and I are going to break all of those down, including his strong comments about who's the leader in the clubhouse right now to replace Justin Herbert at quarterback. Before we do, we want to remind you guys that you can support the podcast in many of different ways. Uh, uh, one way without uh, doesn't involve spending any money is giving us reviews. Go and give us a review on iTunes or any other podcast platform that you uh, listen to us on. Subscribe to the podcast. If, you, if you've stumbled onto us for the first time and you like what we, we produce and you want more, subscribe so you can get notified when we publish a new one. We do three podcasts a week typically. Uh, we talk a lo- wide range of Oregon football, Oregon basketball, recruiting, and other topics. Uh, and if you want to go a step further and you want to really ensure that this podcast continues, you could subscribe to DuckTerritory.com and you can subscribe for as low as $1 for your first month, nine ninety five thereafter that. So, Eric, Mario Cristobal went on an interview with College Football's Big Noon kickoff show. Um, they did it. Socially, they, 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 the interview was conducted and broadcast over Twitter. Um, and we learned quite a bit, I think, from what was it, like about 10, 15 minute interview with, with Cristobal. Um, and I think the biggest takeaway I had was just some very strong comments about who is kind of the leader in the clubhouse right now to, to replace Justin Herbert at quarterback. Absolutely. And I think, and that was the first thing we got up afterwards, both Matt and I watched Cristobal speak with Rob Stone from yeah, Fox uh, kick, uh, Saturday kickoff. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think that was the thing that stood out, right? Is he comes out and he, A, we should say he made it clear there's an open competition, but he also said, and this is a quote, heading into fall practice, Tyler Shuck without question leads for that job, but we are going to make it a very tough competition. And, and to me, a couple things, A, I think pretty pretty significant that Cristobal comes out and acknowledges there's a leader. And I know that they've said in the past before Chuck entered the spring as a starter, he left the spring as a starter, but we hadn't really heard much follow-up on kind of what things have looked like for the last couple months. I think this is one of Cristobal's first public speaking engagements, uh, maybe since mid-May. So uh, certainly notable to hear him say that, but I also think it, it, it also just, I was so impressed with him yesterday and I know we hadn't seen him in a while, but the way he handles all the questions, but I think this is just like a perfect answer to this question because what you're doing is you're, you're giving a vote of confidence for Shuck who is clearly shown that he can be the, you know, hold this position down, but he's also at least kind of keeping the rest of that quarterback room, uh, you know, feeling involved and feeling like there's a sense of, of an opportunity to, to go out and win that job. And, you know, he says with the addition of grad transfer, Anthony Brown, the return of a couple of guys who have been here for a while, freshman and incoming freshman, we're going to let that competition play out. So I think he kind of addressed this perfectly in terms of like, 
if you want to talk about Mark Cristobal as a motivator, I think this is a really good example. And it's not the motivation you would typically see, you know, you think of with a football coach of getting in your face and yelling and pumping you up before a game or something. But he's able to both, I think, kind of motivate Chuck, who is the leader for the job, but also the rest of those vying for position. So I, I found that to be really interesting. And again, I think another example of why Cristobal is such a great ambassador for this football program. Are you surprised, though, in, in Chuck and the, and the confidence that comes uh, from Cristobal coming out here and, and saying he's a leader in the clubhouse? Uh, part of me is because Cristobal is very adamant about fostering a uh, sense of urgency, a sense of competition, and that any job is open, anyone is out there, and that I'm kind of surprised that he's, he's gone out and said before fall camp has even opened that Shuck is the guy in line. You know, he's the one that needs to be beat. You know, you have to beat him to get, to get the job. Um, but at the same time, I kind of wonder, maybe this is some like deep level psychological, you know, impact from him. A, pumping up Shuck, giving him the confidence because they, maybe they think he's the guy. And they want to make sure he's extremely confident going into fall camp. But at the same time, maybe they think a couple of the other guys on the roster can mentally handle hearing that and then go out and say, well, I'm going to show you wrong and know that all of this is just going to raise the level of competition even more. Absolutely. And to the first part there in terms of, was I surprised? I think, it, you know, in, in the moment I was, Matt and I were messaging with each other on Slack as we were, were watching the interview. And I think we we're both kind of like, wow, I, that, I didn't expect he would come out and, and say it that directly that Tyler Shuck is quote unquote, without question, the leader for that job. I mean, that's a pretty, that's a pretty significant statement to make. And you're right, especially prior to fall camp. But, um, and, and I touched on this a second ago, Matt, I think we're in agreement of like, I think this just pushes, I think he has a pretty good pulse for his quarterback room. And this clearly is pushing the buttons for the right guys of Tyler Shuck needs to be at least acknowledged that he's the guy for this job. And I think he's earned that right clearly with how we performed, um, you know, even last fall in practices, but this spring uh, was clearly the best quarterback. I know we only got four practices and then from a media perspective, it was limited, but I mean, it wasn't even close if I'm being totally honest, he was clearly the best quarterback on the roster. And so he deserves to have that vote of confidence. He's earned that right. Um, but I do, again, like you said, you established, and, and, and I said earlier, I think this is a great job of, of keeping everybody kind of feeling like they have a shot at this. And I know probably Anthony Brown is the only other quarterback who legitimately does have a chance because I think Cam Mellon is coming off a redshirt year, an injured year. Uh, still need to see a lot more from him. And Jay Butterfield and, and Robbie Ashford are, are two true freshmen. And you know, can't speak for Ashford because he wasn't here in the spring, but Butterfield certainly needs to work on his body, I think, before he, he can really play at this level. So to me, this is still a Shuck Brown thing, but by saying we're going to make it a very tough competition is saying, Hey, Anthony Brown's going to have a shot. Like we're not counting him out. And uh, I think you enter fall camp and, and you've got all these guys motivated seemingly in the right way. And you know, if, if this was a misstep and this com- somehow isolates Anthony Brown, then I guess Cristobal misspoke, but knowing how, knowing how well he knows his teams and, and, and kind of knows the right way to push those buttons. I think he, he cut, this was a very, very smart answer and the, and the right way to address it, to kind of keep everybody buying in. Other items of note and, and one that's going to become very relevant, I think in the next couple months as colleges across the country are debating whether they open up campus in the fall for on-campus academic learning or if they do some kind of hybrid on-campus and remote 
or if they go full remote, I mean, uh, remote distance learning. Um, we know that Arizona, Arizona State, they have announced that they are in the process of setting things up so that they can do on-campus learning. Uh, we also know that the University of California, USC, they have announced that they will be doing all of fall camp or fall quarter or, or semester. Um, I'm not quite sure what they're on academically, calendar-wise, but they've announced that their, their fall learning will be all done remotely. Um, the, the University of Oregon has not announced what they will be doing yet, to my knowledge, and, and they are in uh, a luxury. They don't start until the end of September, very late in the month of September, like 20, September 29th or something. So they've, they've still got basically two months to kind of formulate a plan, see how other campuses across the country are handling things. But Crystal Ball was asked about uh, the bubble. You know, the NBA has started. Um, the NBA has successfully created a, a bubble. The WNBA has done so as well. Um, the MLS, uh, the National Women's Soccer League, those uh, professional leagues have also created bubbles and for the most part have been highly successful. Um, and the question now becomes, does a, a, does a college athletics you know, federation or organization or whatever, uh, can they pull off a bubble? And should that, you know, should that be something? And Crystal Ball, I'm going to paraphrase here, but essentially said that any option that's out there that, that's positive and that can help allow athletes and, and, and sports to be played should be pursued, should be looked into, should be debated. And Eric, we don't know if, if you know, college programs have looked into doing bubbles, uh, but I think the logistics that come from running these bubbles walks a very fine line between what the NCAA wants is that's amateurism. Yeah. Uh, these, these are not employees. They should not be paid. And if they do create a bubble, then kind of forces them into the hand of admitting that these are, these are employees. These are essential employees and, and not student athletes. And that's absolutely a justifiable uh, point there, Matt, in terms of like, the leagues that we've seen use the bubble and, and, and successfully so far, I mean, you think about the way soccer and basketball has, at least to this point, we're very early on in the bubble system. It has worked, but you're talking about professional athletes who are being compensated for their play. Um, and now we're talking about amateurs, quote unquote, and I call them amateurs because I know they are amateurs, but they shouldn't be amateurs. And so I, I, I look at this and think, I think the bubble like maybe is the best formula to do this, but I just don't see how the NCAA follows up with this. I also think you look at it from a perspective of like, boy, you're going to need to house a lot more people and have a lot more people to look out for. You know, you talk about the difference in an NBA roster or a WNBA roster, even a soccer roster compared to a college football program where you've got over a hundred staff members and, you know, players, staffs, coach, you know, training staff. I just think it's going to be very hard to do something like that. But um you know, and that's, and, that, and that's the real reason. But I think ultimately, like, if you do go through with this, like you said, Matt, you're kind of, if you're the NCAA kind of going like, yeah, we've been kind of, we've been kind of sitting on this, but yeah, they're not really amateurs because we're going to treat them like professionals to, to put them exactly. up and treat them in this situation. And, and ultimately, if there's not, I mean, I, I still think ultimately, if there's not on-campus learning at a campus and you have the football players on campus, to me, that that even feels wrong in a certain level of like, they're not being treated. I mean, you're saying the campus isn't safe for everybody else, but it is for 85 
players who can play a sport really well. It feels it feels wrong for me if you're not compensating them. I have no pro- I have no problem um, with with campuses coming out and saying, "Hey, look, um, we, we we are not going to have the the normal student body on campus. Our student athletes, football, and across the board, they're all going to be here, um, and, and we're going to kind of create." our own little bubble on campus, if you will. Yeah. Um, I, I'm totally on board with that. But then the athletes that are, that are coming in and that are going to be going through these, um, this makeshift, if you will, bubble, uh, they need to be compensated because they're basically being deemed an essential employee. Yep. Um, and, and, exactly. and that's where my issue comes from. Like, I have no problem with, with schools shutting things down and bringing athletes in, but then you need to also acknowledge that these just – these aren't amateurs. They're, they're, they're payable athletes. Um, and that's where my issue comes with, with closing campus and, and still having athletes on. Well, and not only that, like this is the, the absolute worst possible time to try to talk about compensating student athletes too, just because we're talking about the budgets of these athletic departments and they're, the, the gymnastics are going to have, have to do to, to make this all, you know, for some of them to even try to get close to staying in the black and not be like deep, deep in the red. I know I saw a report that Wisconsin was saying if they didn't have football this year, they'd lose – I think it was $50 million or something was their estimate. I mean, it, it, this is big money they're talking about here. So far-fetched to think this is the time to start compensating athletes, which leads to the question of like, all of this is kind of kind of laughable at the same time. It's really uh, just a weird circumstance, but you're right, Matt, in terms of like, yeah, by, by telling the student that the students on camp, they can't come on campus to learn. Uh, but then telling the student athletes, you're saying these guys are essential for something. Um, and if you're not compensating them, that feels like that, that role doesn't make any sense, at least not to me. Now, one other aspect that's more likely to happen is in some capacity, athletes that could be on campus could be met with a large influx of students who are, you know, living on campus or living near campus and doing remote learning or hybrid learning or on-campus learning. And Crystal Ball was asked kind of how do you handle uh, a scenario in which Crystal Ball himself said when the athletes come into the facility to train, to practice, you know, watch film, what have you, there's a person monitoring every four or five athletes, you know, for every four or five athletes, there's one person monitoring social distancing and making sure that they're uh, contact tracing and doing all of that. And when they leave the facility and when they leave to, to go back home or to go to class or to go to that, that spot for lunch or what have you, that contact tracing, that social, you know, social distance monitoring isn't happening. Mm-hmm. And he was asked, how do, you, how do you handle that? How, how are your athletes going to be able to handle that? And he's, this goes in line with, I think, Crystal Ball is a very good uh, person at structure and developing um, protocol, and that's the word that he used. He said, it starts and ends with protocol. It starts and ends with accountability in the locker room. I know when they are in a facility, they have a lot of people monitoring them. Uh, he, he called it a lot of uh, diligence and, and kind of to the point where they're obs- a little obsessive over making sure everyone is social distancing. Um, he said you have to do a phenomenal job teaching, preaching, and involving the parents in terms of making sure that the athletes are following protocol when they're away from the facility. He says, quote, I certainly believe this. If I'm a parent of someone who's going to college and this is the situation, I want to be involved in enforcing the right things to make sure that everything is as safe as possible. We're rel- we are relentless in everything involving protecting oneself, following protocol to the point where we are a little obsessed about it. I think you need to be. We still don't know everything we need to know about the virus, and so it goes back to 
he's basing it basically on uh, the culture within the program and, and hammering home that if you want to compete, if you want to train, you want to get yourself ready for the season, if you want to have that year that sets you up for an NFL draft or sets you up you know, for an award or wins a championship, you know, conference or national – you, what you do in the facility, you also have to do when you're, when you're gone so that we can ensure that we're all safe and healthy and be able to play. I don't know if you could have said it much better than, than what he said there. And I think, you know, if you're a parent of one of these players on the team, you probably love what, he, what, you, what Matt just ran through that, that Cristobal said the other night. And if you're a prospective recruit, you read that and think, well, I know that this person's going to look out for the best interest of my son. So, you know, I, I think he nailed it from that perspective of like, this is a great way to put at ease, you know, parents and family and, and maybe help with some recruiting. But ultimately, like, this is, this is the way you have to approach it. And, and in a time where we're seeing a lot of strange perspectives on the, the pandemic, I don't want to go too far down that. It, 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 I think it's really nice to see a football coach who, again, this is not his job. He has no background. He's not an epidemiologist, right? But to <laughs> see that he, he wants to be, you know, he wants to, to be as careful as possible um, to follow certain protocols, to have things in line. And, and you said earlier, right, he's a structured guy, and we see that in how he orchestrates everything. It's no surprise that a program led by somebody like Cristobal, who, who again, does appreciate not, not appreciate. He lives for structure. He's a very structured person. You, anytime you talk about him, I feel like he, he mentioned some example of, of the structure in his day or his life. Um, it's no surprise that he would, you know, you're, you're, you're looking at a program that would be maybe more aware of the, of what they need to do, or, or at least more proactive in, in, in making sure that their athletes are protected. So um, I think kudos to him for, for what he said there in terms of, the safety part. And there are other quotes from the interview with Rob Stone where he said, you know, we, if we look at a, a scenario and, and we're looking at possibly doing it, if it's not safe for our players, then we cross that off the list. We don't even look at it. You know, safety is the first thing. And that's basically the threshold you have, the first threshold you have to meet. If it's safe, we'll take a look at it. If it's not safe, there are safety concerns, then nope, we're not looking at that. And I know that was something I think he said um, in response to what's happened in major league baseball uh, and kind of, if there's any lessons to be learned from the way that took place. So um, I, I, again, I think Cristobal did a great job of communicating this message and this vision for what to do here. And I think it's important in a time where, where seasons are unpredictable and you don't know what's going to happen that you've got at least a coach who seems like he's, he's educated himself as well as he can um, in this process and, and has a real plan in place for, for what's in hold going forward. Coming up at the, after this break, we're going to discuss some alphas on the defensive side of the football. Cristobal gave some really good opinions and discussion on that side where, look, this group is going to be flat-out dominant with everyone coming back. They do have to replace their biggest alpha uh, in Troy Dye and, that they've had the last four years. And so we will discuss that coming up next on the break. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, welcome back to the Ots and Audibles podcast. Uh, Matt Pramer, Sculpo is with me as always, and we teased it at the break. Um, no real names were given, but I think certainly some really good discussion from Mario Cristobal about just the culture and the leadership of Oregon's defense and just look every 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 elite team they've got those guys that are really they're called alphas alpha dogs they're they're the out outgoing guy the leader um, the guy that sets the tone and crystal ball eric really kind of hammered home some of uh, those you know that type of player on this upcoming defense for Oregon and it, it's implied that this is i think speaking specifically about Oregon's five stars, Noah Sewell, Justin Flo, Dante Manning, that sort of recruit. Uh, the, the question was asked about the studs they brought in on defense and Cristobal's response is where we want to go, we're going to get alphas. And I just, first off, that's a, that's a great way to start a com uh, to start a sentence. There is where we're going to go. Uh, we're going to get, go get alphas. You know how alphas work, right? They want to bring it. They want to lead. You've got to let them lead while at the same time, making sure that the culture meets them halfway and they come the other half. And you come together to have to create a great football team and a family. Um, and he, he, he you know, I'll run down here because he says a lot. You know, Cristobal, he's quite verbose. Um, <laughs> I have a lot to say here, but uh, you know, he, he commented about how physical they were. But the thing that really impressed them uh, was just the care factor. He said um, the fact that these guys have a care factor that is second to none, and the fact that they want to be here because of all the things that have been done and can be done, and the way they're going to be pushed, challenged, and developed. It's a great combination, and they know we're going to challenge them. They know that it's not going to be camp cupcake around here. It's going to be legit and they're going to be developed to the best of their abilities. Um, and so there's your recruiting, there's your recruiting pitch. And that's the, I'm sure those are the sort of things Mario Cristobal was saying when he went into the Sewell living room and the flow living room and the Manning living room and some of these other elite recruits of so you come out here and it's not going to be, we're not going to take it easy on you. We're going to be challenged the way everybody else is challenged. And um, again, I think the way he speaks about these guys and, you know, doesn't, you know, at one point, does talk about how they physically they're different, and you see them. He says you see them on tape, uh, and they hit people. Things go all over the place. Helmets go this way, the mouth the mouthpiece goes the other way. Um, so they're clearly talented football players physically, but I think it's telling. And, and again, we haven't heard a whole lot of feedback on these guys because they just haven't been on campus very long. And Sewell didn't even really take part in practice. Flo got here after spring practice had already been canceled. It's good to hear some early. I guess, responses from Cristobal, not only about what they look like physically, but but also uh, who they are as, as players and, and how they can be, I think, really important parts of this defense going forward um, from a leadership perspective, which is obviously really important considering you, you lose guys like Troy Dye from last year's defense, who is a, a leader, and you lose guys after the 2020 season, a ton of seniors that are, that are leaders, especially in the secondary. Now, I, he didn't give us names, and I, I think it's safe to say, you and I have covered this team extensively, um, Troy Dye was kind of wasn't kind of was just I can I, I can say it pretty definitively uh, was Oregon's kind of on field leader in terms of you know best player on the field production type 
uh, over his four years mm-hmm. and was also the guy that kind of jazzed everybody up, got everyone juiced and ready to go, was you know, their vocal leader as well, their alpha, the guy that set the tone for everything. And he's going to have to be replaced now. And I think the great thing that happened during the 2019 football season on the defensive side of the football was we saw some other guys kind of grow into that mindset and develop themselves into um, alphas. And let's real quick go through some guys. And I I agree with Cristobal. There could be quite a, a large number of guys that would fit this honor. Uh, or fit this description. Um, I, I look at first and foremost the guy that, that to me that comes out and 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 feels like an alpha is Javon Holland. Um, I think this is a guy that that certainly knows how to. He's smart. He is. He has the the on field success to back it up, uh, and is a guy that's got that outgoingness to him that he could become kind of that that new alpha of the team. Um, I also think uh, a Kayvon Thibodeau is, yeah. is one that's going to fit that mold perfectly. Um, he's another guy that, that's very talented, has the, has the track record on the field to, to back it up. Hey, you got to do this because if, if you don't, you, we can't have this type of success that I've had uh, individually. Um, he's also smart. He's very outgoing. Um, I think there's other players, though, in, in the secondary in particular, too. Um, Thomas Graham, Diamande Lenore, Nick Pickett. Um, Brady Breeze, I think, has kind of really morphed into an alpha guy on on this team as well. Um, but then it goes back to you know how big of an impact can these younger freshman incoming guys also bring onto this team as well? Because there's nothing that, that there's nothing better than you know signing some guys that are really talented and their expectation is coming in to a program of, Hey, I came here to win. And if you're not going to back that up, I'm going to push you. I agree with your list a lot, Matt, in terms of, I think Holland, Thibodeau, Thomas Graham, to me, those are the three vocal kind of leaders on this defense. Um, from what I've gathered, watching this team play, watching them practice, um, speaking to them after practice, there is a gap though, in that second level, right at linebacker. And I think that's where there's an opportunity. Obviously Isaac Slade, Matt Atia was a great player last year. I think he's almost underappreciated by some people um, in terms of the all around season he had. I mean, the guy I think had more pass deflections for a linebacker than any Oregon linebacker for at least the last 10 years. Led the team in pass deflections was all over the football, really good in, in space, but I'm not sure he's yet that vocal leader like the other guys were talking about. And it may be, maybe that's something he's working on and we'll see that develop in the fall. But I think there's definitely an opportunity for a guy like a Justin Flo or Noah Sewell or maybe both of them to come in and kind of fill in that role at that linebacker because that is a huge part of a defense, right? You kind of can be kind of the captain of that defense at that spot. You need that kind of alpha mentality. And I think that maybe that's also part of what you need to see from Flo and Sewell and, and some of these younger players. Maybe maybe a Mace Funa is a guy I haven't mentioned yet that has a little bit more experience in those guys. But if you can get one or two of those guys to bring that that alpha personality, that leadership personality as a young player, I think we started to see that even from Thibodeau last year. I think that even helps things more. I'm not worried at all about leadership on this defense, to be clear. I'm just saying there might be an opportunity for one of these younger guys, these fresh, true freshmen even, to come in and, and right away carry some sort of cachet and leadership. Um, part because when you're one of the best players on a defense, people are going to look at you a certain way, right? Even if you're younger. You, I think about, we'll talk about this later in the show, but like Sabrina Ionescu playing in the WNBA, she's the youngest player on our team, but everybody looks to her for leadership because she's clearly the best player. 
you get a guy like Justin Flo and you throw him out there, if he's your best linebacker, there's going to have to be some sort of leadership that comes with that. He has to set some sort of example. So um, I'm excited to kind of see how that plays out at linebacker. I think you're right about Thibodeau on the defensive line. Jordan Scott's another name to throw out there. Maybe an Austin Follow you. And then the secondary has almost too many um, names to mention, but a ton of leadership back there. They have a lot of those alpha personalities. And now I think I'm just excited to see kind of what comes from linebacker. Yeah, that your your analogy of Sabrina is perfect because I thought about it and I was like, okay, I'm going to say this, and so I'm happy that you you hammered that home too. Is that sometimes you you have athletes that show up and and say, no, this is not how we're going to be doing things. We're we're going to be going extremely hard in practice every day, even if it's in 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 the summertime when no one's watching, and that's how programs elevate. And I think Crystal Ball is talking about this program is going to have a lot of alphas that are on the team right now uh, for sure. But there's also they've also recruited that type of player who's not going to accept mediocrity, who's not going to accept uh, an athlete of taking a day off in practice. And and the more players you have that have that same mindset, you know, the better your program will be. And it's so it's a positive that we are seeing that now start play out on 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 the team. A hundred percent. And I'm just excited to see some of this youth movement and kind of what it looks like defensively because it could get really exciting really fast with this group. And, and to think about them from a physical perspective, like he ran through of like, these guys are going to make a bunch of plays, but then also realizing that if you can get a Justin Flo or a Noah source or some of these young guys to become a Troy die kind of three to four years where he is that, that essential part of that leadership, boy, that is invaluable um, from a team perspective. Now we mentioned her real quick, Sabrina. Um, this was also going on. Uh, she had her second game as kind of the head-to-head matchup with uh, Satu Sabali. This was going on at the same time as Cristobal was talking, or thereabouts. Yeah, um, right. They're about in the same time frame. And there was a lot of kind of questions about uh, Sabrina Inescu and her rookie debut last Saturday and how it was kind of a ho-hum performance, 12 points and a couple of rebounds and a couple of assists, poor shooting numbers. And uh, she – drastically improved on those in her second game, just like you kind of expected uh, she would. Yeah, I, I know I told Matt that I thought she might go for like 25 or 30 a couple of days before this game happened. I wish I would have said that on the podcast because that would have made me look really smart because here she is on Wednesday going for 33 um, in her second game. And, uh, you know, I think – and I, I know I did say in the podcast, I didn't expect her to have another clunker there. And I'll be honest, part of me was going – I didn't expect it, but if she did have another poor game, it's like, boy – that is really going to change some of the interest from our perspective of like the fan base, the Oregon fan, I'm sure they would have still followed her, but if she goes out and has another game where she's 10 points and misses a bunch of shots and just doesn't look very good, it's, it's going to change the impact of, of kind of her, not just with Oregon fans, but just nationally. There's so much excitement around her for, so for her to go out and play the way she did, and we should note her team stinks and got absolutely drilled and they were down 20 points while she's scoring 30 points um, you know, they end up losing by 13, but it was, it was 21, 22 for large parts of the second half. Um, she was doing almost all by herself and the degree of difficulty in the shot. She's 11 for 20 from the field and six of 10 from three. None of those were easy open shots. She had to work for all of it and to, for her to go out. And, and also we should say seven rebounds, seven assists. I mean, she, she put out an incredible performance and this is what you were expecting and excited to see. And, and, and frankly, kind of what I was hoping to see in the opener against the storm um, and we should note, just to be fair, that the, the, the wings are nowhere near as good as the Storm and probably nowhere near as good as most teams in the WNBA. They're probably going to finish in the bottom three or four teams, um, and that's at least where they've been picked. So this is not like she went out against one of the top teams and just dominated, but it's still WNBA competition. So 
Um, I think you have to be really encouraged and excited. And just she plays again today, uh, I think at 5 p.m. Uh, and that game's on NBA TV against, uh, the, I believe it's the Atlanta Dream. Uh, she, who knows what she's going to do this afternoon. She might go for another 30 because that team's not very good on defense. I think they've given up over 100 points in both games. So, uh, Matt, I know you were following along too. I mean, were you surprised that it came that e- I mean, it came this quickly too because, I mean, this is her second professional game and for her to not only be by far the best player on the court but to dominate the way she did, offensively at least, is, I thought was really staggering. Um, no, it doesn't surprise <laughs> me because the team she was playing was theoretically the second worst team in the league last year. Right. Um, and the Dallas Wings, I mean, you know this better than I do off the top of my head, but Dallas Wings had something like what, like six or seven draft picks? Um, there, were, there, were, there was an NBA record, I think, 10 uh, NBA rookies playing in that game. Between yeah, them. so, the, so the, the teams were, were filled with a lot of newcomers, a lot of uh, some of the, you know, the, the lower level talent of play, level of talent of, of player in the WNBA. And, and look, Sabrina is good. We knew that. And, and she is one of the best players in the sport, you know, in, in, in the world. We knew that when she was at Oregon. So when you put players uh, that are, for the most part, are, are lower than her, she's going to dominate. So it doesn't really surprise me that it, it came this early considering who they played. Now, I'll be really curious to see when can she do this type of a, of a performance and not be like a, a, a shot hunter, you know, someone that's just, you know, shooter's mentality, not really looking, you know, to, to play with efficiency like she did today, like she did um, on, on Wednesday. She put with high efficiency on Wednesday. When can she put this performance against a really good team in, in, the, in the WNBA, like a Seattle Storm, like she struggled against uh, game one? That's when, I, that's when I'm – I was impressed by what she did, no doubt about it, and I'm not trying to discredit it. But I'll really be impressed and think she's even better than expected um, when she can have this type of performance and her team be in a competitive game against a really good team. Yeah, good points there, Matt. And in terms of opportunities for her to face some good teams, and we should say we're two games into the season, so it's somewhat difficult to appraise what good teams are. But um, August 2nd, they play the Phoenix Mercury, and I've actually, they're 0-2 right now, and I've watched both, some of both their games. They have Diana Taurasi and Brittany Griner. Um, that's a dynamic duo, Skylar Diggins-Smith. So that's a tough game. If, if you can go out and perform against a backcourt with Taurasi um, and Diggins uh, and, and put up big numbers, that'll, that'll turn some eyes. And the next game after that is against the Minnesota Lynx, another really – respected franchise the game after that she has a real tough stretch here after that she plays the defending champion washington mystics and then it's the los angeles aces who were competing for that championship last year and the los angeles sparks another one of those high-end teams so from august 2nd through august 11th that's a nine-day period she plays five games and they're all against teams that are expected to at least be competing or maybe i would say all are probably going to at least be close to being playoff teams maybe they all five will be in and those are definitely five of the better teams so um, an opportunity there and then just a couple quotes from her post game that I thought were kind of interesting. Um, like Matt said, she's not going to score that kind of game in, every night. And, and she said that she goes, I, I'm going to just continue to learn. It's going to be a roller coaster. I'm not going to have 33 every night. I'm just excited to learn from this game and keep moving forward. And then a couple here that I thought were kind of interesting. She, she was asked about what was different from that debut on Saturday where she was four for 17 from the field, and 0 for seven from three or 0 for eight from three. And she said, I realized the reasons why I was missing. And I think my shot was a little bit rushed and I didn't have very much confidence. And this is the part I found interesting. Honestly, I didn't think I'd get those shots in the WNBA and I did. 
I think she was almost surprised that she was able to create the space and separation and get those looks um, and, and obviously regrouped and, and took advantage of it the second game around. And then the last one I thought was interesting, and those who watched the games would know that Sabrina's, I think, second in the WNBA assists right now. She's 12 through two games. That number could be significantly larger. Um, a lot of drop passes from teammates that would have resulted in baskets. And I thought this was a pretty funny quote. She said, my teammates know it took me some growing pains at Oregon as well. I had to hit them in the head a few times to know that my passes were coming. So it's, uh, it's going to be a bit of a learning curve for both Sabrina and her, I guess her teammates to get used to, to playing with somebody like her. But uh, again, I think really impressive second game and, and you just hope she continues to perform well. And, and again, there's a, a stretch coming up here of about five games in nine days where we're going to see, uh, learn a lot about how she can compete against the, the, the upper echelon teams in the league. Real quick, how did Satu Sabla do in that game as well? Because we've, we've gushed over, obviously, understanding of so of, of why uh, Sabrina Inescu was so popular on, during the game, on social media. But Satu Sabla's team won. How did she perform in that game? I thought she was good attacking the basket. And it's a totally different role than what Sabrina's doing. Uh, Satu finishes with 12 points and four rebounds, had a couple blocks, had a steal. Um, all five of her baskets came driving to the rim. Uh, I thought she did a really good job of, of finishing some tough shots. Um, her role's different. She's 0 for 5 from 3, we should say. Um, very different role because Dallas has uh, Arike Ogunwale, who was, I think, the NBA, WNBA Rookie of the Year last year. You remember from Notre Dame, all sorts of big shots. She's the primary offensive player, and there are a couple other players that also take it under their wing. But I, I will also say that I was looking at the WNBA's uh, rookie stats and – Satu is like almost second in the, in the WNBA in scoring among rookies. She's averaging 11 and a half per game. So um, Sabrina's on a different planet, averaging 22 and a half right now through two. But I think you look at Satu and then maybe the team's slightly better than we thought. I mean, they were one and one right now. I know they lost to the Dream, who are also supposed to be pretty poor. But um, she's performing at a decent level. I think she's going to definitely be, uh, you know, an all-rookie player in this league. Uh, and I think has a chance to have a great career. I just think there's some things that, 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 didn't, that aren't quite as strong strong right away as opposed to someone like Sabrina who can come in and kind of do it all. I think Satu has the ability to shoot the three. She just hasn't done it well so far. I think she's like one for eight or one for nine from that distance so far. Um, and she hasn't gotten to the free throw line, which is kind of strange because I know a big component of her game is that kind of slashing to the rim and, and drawing fouls. Um, I think look for her to, to do a little bit better job of that. And we should note that, that Satu also plays – um, today uh, against the Indiana Fever. That game will be on uh, CBS Sports Network at 5 p.m. So an opportunity to, to watch her and see if she can go pick up, uh, you know, the second win of the season for the Wings. Yeah, we'll certainly be tracking some of these games. They're going to be out over the weekend. Uh, Sabrina has a game today. She also plays on Sunday. Um, so does uh, Satu Sabali. She plays today, also plays on Sunday. Rufi Heber will be playing um, I believe Saturday and yeah. then also um, on Monday. So th there's going to be some games coming up. Um, we've got our first Ruthie versus Sawtu game, which will be played on the 4th of August. Um, and then on top of that, the WNBA uh, of their start, the NBA will be starting back up. So we'll be tracking Bull Bull, Troy Brown, Dylan Brooks, um, a wide range of, of ducks in the NBA there as well. And, oh, Eric, by the way, um, all of this is going to be going on, and football will be starting here relatively soon, we expect. We don't have an official date yet. And that's a little weird, right? Like, you yeah. and I are 
in a position where basically end of July, we shut down our summer mode and we get into a mental state of where we're going to be at Austin Stadium five, six days a week for the next six weeks covering football and watching football practice and taking notes of who's on the first team, second team, third team. And, um, and it, there's a mental preparation for that. And we're kind of just in limbo. We don't really know when football starts. We just know soon. I, the fact that we don't have a date is still you're, – you're, you're right about, like, I need, some, I need some time to prepare for this, man. I, 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 uh, I go to these practices, and I'm, and I'm, like, hyped up, ready to watch all the details. I feel a little bit off my, my, cult, my football game a little bit just because it's been so long. So I'm hoping we get a date um, sometime in the next – well, gosh. <laughs> I say week or so, but a week from, a week from now, it, it probably is when it's going to start typically. I mean, typically practice would be starting probably, honestly, in the next couple of days. Um, with the way past schedules work first, first weekend in August, maybe the first practice would be tomorrow, honestly. Um, so this is certainly unusual and weird, but uh, I'm just excited that that's there is some optimism for a season to happen that you have coach Cristobal on a, a Twitter stream talking about a season and about who might start at quarterback and some of these young, exciting players that these are discussions we're having and that we're not just sitting here going, well, we don't know when football is happening or if it's happening. So um uh, that part, it, it, I guess, is nice, and I, I just, I guess, hope in the next couple of days we have an idea of what our falls are going to look like. That's going to do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast. For Eric Scopel, I'm Matt Prem. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Talk to you later, folks.